Hey everyone, welcome to your Enneagram Coach, the podcast. And just to let you know, we're also on YouTube. So head over to your Enneagram Coach channel and subscribe and like this video. Today, we've got a really special guest, and I'm so thrilled to continue our conversation about Enneagram Internal Profile, which is in our new book, More Than Your Number. And we're going to talk with Adam Young, who is also an incredible friend, and he also has his own incredible podcast. We're going to dive into all of that, but also we're going to dive into his main type, which is the type eight, and hear from him how EIP has affected him and understanding the different parts that are operating within him. So if you're hearing about EIP for the first time and don't have any clue what we're talking about, uh, be sure to go check out episode 112 and you'll be able to uh, get a grasp, an overview of EIP. And then uh, don't forget to go uh, get the book, More Than Your Number. You can buy anywhere books are sold, where we explain this new approach to the Enneagram and how it helps us move from simply observation to actually self-leadership and to attend to these various parts of our hearts. Uh, if you want to see it, hear an overview of the Type 8's EIP, you can go to Episode 113 where we do a deep dive, and in Episode 114 we have a whole panel of 8's as well. So there's a lot of resources for 8's and uh, for those of us who have really great relationships with 8's and we want to learn more about them. See, EIP is an approach that helps to bring awareness and clarity to uh, the various parts of our hearts. Uh, EIP uh, more easily and clearly helps us to understand the various connecting types uh, of our Enneagram type. So to start, each type has six basic EIP parts, the main type, which consists of two parts, the misaligned wounded child and the gospel-led beloved child. Your main type also has four connecting types, and that makes up the other four parts of the uh, of our EIP. Uh, that incorporates both wings, not just one of them, but both of them, and also the two paths, the two types where the lines are connected to an Enneagram symbol. Each part can show up in both healthy and unhealthy ways, aligned or misaligned ways, depending upon whether they are advocating for on, on behalf of the wounded child or the beloved child. Uh, when our wounded child is trying to lead, it brings less healthy tendencies, mm -hmm. uh, more self-protective and securing tendencies, which can affect our relationships with ourselves, with God, and with others. Uh, but uh, when EIP is beneficial, since we can now use this uh, as a way of coming to understand uh, God's role in our life and what the Holy Spirit is inviting us to, to awaken to, that our beloved child uh, has the opportunity to lead all the various aspects of our internal world. In fact, when our beloved part is leading, we'll see the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, Beth, today we're going to be talking about our type 8, so why don't you give a brief overview of the type 8, and then uh, we'll introduce Adam after that. Yeah, I'd love to. So type 8s engage life with confident intensity, with strength and a de determination to make things happen. They are strong, self-assured, and independent, and they don't want to be harmed by others. But underneath these layers of this external armor is a very tender heart. They desire truly to have someone bigger and stronger them to protect them and to see and to look out for them. Now, type 8's core motivations is their core fear being weak, powerless, harmed, controlled, vulnerable, manipulated, and left at the mercy of injustice. But they have a core desire, which is to protect themselves and those in their inner circle. 
then they have a core weakness of excess. Now, this is where they're constantly desiring intensity and control and sometimes power, and they push themselves willfully on life and people to get what they want. But they have a core longing, the message their heart longs to hear, which is you will not be betrayed. Now, when type 8s are struggling, they can be very straightforward and blunt. They can come off being mean and intimidating. They can be very restless and impatient when they think that others are maybe slow or incompetent, and they want to put a lot of pressure on people to make things happen. But at their very best, they embrace generosity and mercy, and they protect others. They provide for ways that others can see that they will not be betrayed, that they come alongside them. But they also can do this because they are being vulnerable in a way towards God, knowing that God is their protector. God is their strength. God is the one that is empowering them. So this allows them to move closer into relationship with others in that vulnerable way. And this is where they're going to balance courage and strength with vulnerability and humility. And this is where you're going to see them plow a path of justice for others with their strength, their resilience, and their tenacity. Well, uh, that's a great segue to introduce today's guest, uh, who is an Enneagram Type 8. Uh, this is Adam Young, a licensed clinical social worker with a master's degree in social work and divinity. He currently serves as a fellow with the Allender Center and is the host of the incredible podcast called The Place We Find Ourselves. Um, Adam, I have been tremendously influenced. Uh, by your work and having we went through some training together with Dan Allender and so we we share a like-heartedness and understanding our own story man Adam uh, thank you first of all for you starting your podcast I know that that has meant so much to so many different people um, but Adam welcome to the show and we're so glad that you joined us thanks it's super fun to be here it was gut-wrenching but encouraging to listen to Beth describe my heart. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny as a type nine, I like kind of just like get right in there, don't I? And it's like, how can this peaceful, calm person just hit me right at the core? (laughs) You know, Adam, I'd like to ask this just to get us started. But as you think about your eightness, um, which is kind of a funny terminology, a little (laughs) moniker people use for eights, your your eightness. Um, (laughs) But... um, How do you think your eightness led to you starting your podcast? Mm. Oh, um, I have a deep desire for influence and impact. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, I was a out-of-work preacher without a pulpit. Mm -hmm. And then I learned about this thing called podcasting, and it gave me a pulpit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? That's great. And a very powerful one, which is so helpful. Yes. I, and one of the things that I, I love about your podcast, so having spent a little time together uh, through the Allender trainings, like the same person that showed up as we were going through that training is the same person who shows up uh, on your podcast. Like it, I, mm-hmm. you can see the passion. Uh, I can, I, I see the, the insight and the the ruthless I don't know if ruthless, uh, I don't think that's the good word for it, but just the passionate pursuit of honesty mm-hmm. and that it's okay. Like we can go there and be okay. Yeah. And you offer such kindness uh, whenever on your podcast, but also there's clear direction. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're not just left there on your own. And yeah. we've had so many people. 
well, that's, share how much they really appreciate it. That's why I love when I describe type eights, it's in, very important to me because I think eights are probably some of the most misunderstood uh, Enneagram type um, because a lot of people will call them bulldozers, you know, um, or a bull in a china shop, whatever you want to call it. And I'm like, no, they're a big diesel snowplow like you see up in the north. They, their heart is trying to plow a path for others. Now, when they're not healthy, obviously they're going to nick people on the side of the road or even plow over them. And if they're really unhealthy, they're doing it on purpose. But really how God designed them was to plow a path for others. And I think you embody that in such a great way because you see the people who have need out in front of you and you kind of yell up in the front like, hey, get behind me or get on the side of the road and I've got this. And you're kind of plowing a path for others. And then others are like, thank you. Now I can kind of learn about my heart or I can grow or I can heal from from trauma and pain. So I would love to hear a little bit more from you on how did you discover you were an eight? And then what has that journey been like in realizing you're eight, both kind of from that misaligned and aligned place? Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered I was an eight because somebody started talking about the Enneagram years ago and gave me a book called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective by Richard Rohr. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I read it. Um, You know, I took one of those tests, but then I read all the types. Mm -hmm. Right. And and when I got to the eight and it talked about um, that eights are incredibly sensitive and gentle and tender – but most people don't experience them that way right. because they act all tough and in control. Yeah. I was like, hmm, that feels very core to like my felt experience of being in the world. Right. Like there's a disconnect between the vulnerable, tender, sensitive Adam that I know about yes. and how others experience me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I was I was just thinking as you're saying that that's exactly when you read about an eight, usually what when people experience that of an eight is when the eight is around children or animals. They'll they'll see mm. that tenderness come out, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, like like as if they're surprised because what they what people typically experience from the type eight isn't so much. I mean, if they're unhealthy, yeah, it's going to be brash and it's harsh and it's blunt, mm-hmm. but even a healthy eight. They just exude a certain kind of energy of confidence and let's get this done and let's go. And that can be very intimidating for other people. And the aides are like, wait, I'm intimidating? And everyone else is like, right. yeah, like how do you not know this? <laughs> right. You know, but the aide doesn't feel right. that. And right. has that been hard to watch other people's expressions and or how they re- relate to you when you know what your heart's oh. really trying to come across as? Absolutely. Like gut wrenching because, um, you know, when you get the feedback from enough people, you know that they're telling you the truth. It's not like one person. And and so you have to, you have to look at the data, which is, oh, this is how people experience my presence Mm -hmm. in a room. Yeah. Yes. But it's a sense of being misunderstood. Right. Because, It's so interesting you say around children, Mm -hmm. people see the tenderness of an eight. When you said that, it dawned on me that eights aren't – there's no danger if there's a child because there's a power differential, right? Like I'm an adult. They're a seven-year-old boy. So my like 
set, I don't feel like I'm not going to be betrayed. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be harmed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I can be myself, yeah. which is very tender and sensitive yeah. and gentle. Yeah. Yes. And I also do- talk about how eights, um, that sensitivity internally, what, what I say to people is like their heart has had a third degree burn and yeah. Think about, you know, if your arm has a third degree burn, you're not just going to be like out there bumping into things. You're (laughs) going to protect it. You're going to cover it up. You're going to, you're going to even probably put some kind of shield around it if you, if you can. And that's really what eights are doing. Their heart is so tender. And this is what I think is going to surprise people. It's so tender, but it's also been harmed in some form or fashion, whether really big or little, little harm that they've put up this external armor. Like you said, like, Mm -hmm. well, when I'm with people and I don't know what I'm going to get, I'm going to come across with this armor, but really what's inside is so tender. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. But other people experience Mm -hmm. the armor and they experience the, at times their experiences. I am a bulldozer. Yeah. Um, Now that's much less true now that I've like matured and grown and healed a lot. But when I was young, like in my 20s, a lot of people experienced me as mm-hmm. a bulldozer right? Yes. or a bull in a china shop. Um, everyone knows when I enter the room. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like the opposite of a nine, right? right. Like when you're at least you when you were younger, Beth, my yeah. guess is you're in a room at a party. Somebody says the next day who is at the party. They're going to leave you out. Oh, totally. <laughs> Uh, or even Adam, now, Adam. I was like, "Yeah, that's not in the past." That's, yeah, that's <laughs> what's that quote? The it's past so is it the past. It's not even past, <laughs> right? Um, no, yeah, you're you're totally right. And so, yeah, people are experiencing you in a different way than what you experience yourself as. And here's yes, here's one thing I want people to hear, and I and I and I just it's like my heart, the nine mediator heart. And then the eight what, that wants to plow a path right now for others wants people to hear, I know that you might experience eights in a particular way, but I need you to look past that. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is when, Adam, when I first started reading about the Enneagram, this is back in early 2000s, and I would even, so this is when I haven't done all my work, you know, I'm still doing my work, but hadn't done all the work, even reading about a type eight as a type nine. <laughs> I kind of trembled inside, like, of course, I don't want to be around these people, you know, but I will be honest. I had the privilege when I got my uh, certification, the Enneagram of being around several eights that allowed me to see their most authentic and vulnerable self. It blew my mind. It, it shattered the armor of all eights. Now that doesn't mean, of course I see the armor. I feel the Mm -hmm. armor, but I was Mm -hmm. able to see the eight in a completely different light. So from then on, mm-hmm. when I see that armor or I feel it, I can have understanding, compassion and go, you know what? They're feeling either vulnerable, they're feeling harmed, they're feeling manipulated or they're scared they're going to be. And they're coming a little bit more in a, in a, a like a brash or a blunt way. Yeah. But the, actually what's going on inside is tenderness. And can yeah. I come alongside in a way that's non-threatening and can show them, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm with you. I'm for you and mm-hmm. break down some of that armor so that we can come together in this. And I'll tell you when I see past the armor and eight, see it, 
see that I'm seeing past it, they're yeah. like disarmed. They're, they're oh. so thankful. It, oh, just, nothing feels safer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like for an eight. Yeah. It's like, I see you and it's okay. I see that yep. you're, you're afraid. I'm not going to harm yeah. you. Yeah. Right. Well, Adam, why don't we dive in to, let's talk about first, uh, we're going to go through the per, two parts of our main type, the wounded and beloved child. And so we're going to start with the wounded child. Now, the wounded child is the part of our main type that is uh, has carries the impact of trauma and tragedy living in both the sinful and fallen world. It's the vulnerable and tender parts of our heart. It reacts from a history of painful experiences and has a primal need to protect itself from more harm. Uh, for eights as children, they long to hear that and experience that they will not be betrayed. But the type eight grew up seeing the world is an aggressive and antagonistic place, and only those who are strong, tough, and smart will survive. They saw how uh, the weak, the innocent, and vulnerable were taken advantage of, hurt, or betrayed. They didn't want to be one of these vulnerable people, so they decided to protect their hearts uh, with a strong external armor, which is what Beth's been alluding to. But internally, the type 8's heart is soft and tender, and if it's exposed or taken advantage of, it would be devastating to them, so they feel they must wear protective armor for survival. Their wounded child part falsely believes that it's not okay to trust anyone. It longs for someone more powerful to protect and care for them so they Mm -hmm. can let go of the armor and the weight of protecting everyone that means so much to them. Uh, so as an adult, the core longing remains the same, uh, to hear that they will not be betrayed. You know, it is interesting, Beth, you know, we've had some conversations lately about the wounded, our, our own sense of wounded and experience of wounded child that we were even talking like they are the wounded part of ourselves sometimes doesn't even see one another yeah. because they're so alone yeah. and they see the world. They're so fixated on that world. They're very young. They're very scared. And they don't see the resources that we have around us now that things are different mm-hmm. now. Well, um, well, Adam, tell us for yourself, how do you experience this part of your wounded child? Well, And just real quickly, the wounded child also, what we have to realize is that it has positive intent. But it's this little child that doesn't understand the world, doesn't understand what's going on. And so it's trying to protect us. It's trying to help us, but it just doesn't have the resources um, to know how. So, yeah. So, Adam, tell us a little bit more about, you know, your wounded child part and how it shows up, whether in the past or the present. Yeah, just really love to hear from an eight. Well, one story that comes to mind is when I was in middle school, um, I developed late and didn't have a lot of hair on my legs and a rumor started that I shaved my legs. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, you know, there were some ringleaders of it, but it went around the whole school and they would mock me at school and it was utterly humiliating. Like for an eight, Mm -hmm. the humiliation of that and the powerlessness of that, what it, it overwhelmed me. Mm. Um, but that actually wasn't the worst part of it. The worst part was there were no adults mm. in my world. There was no one stronger than me to protect, to intervene, to care for me, to help me figure out how to deal with this. No guidance counselor, m- mom and dad wouldn't get involved, no teachers. Nobody would come to my aid. I had no advocate. I had no mm. help. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so I was utterly alone in that powerlessness and in that humiliation. 
Um, and when, you know, when Jeff talks about the wounded child, the wounded part of an eight, that's a story that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, I, it's interesting to hear you use the word humiliation. Um, does sometimes being exposed or, or feeling vulnerability, does that come across? I remember talking with uh, the theologian Jerome Bars, um, and uh, we were talking, I was sharing the gospel with uh, at St. Louis University and uh, with some to-be seminary students within the Jesuit tradition of the Catholic Church, and I just felt like I had no clue what I was doing. They had all kinds of questions that I didn't know how to answer, and I said, hey, Jerome, when you were with Labrie, um, what was it like when people asked you questions that you didn't know? And he wanted to say, you get humiliated, but then he said, humbled. How do you experience the difference between humility and humiliation as a type 8? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Well, humility is just an honest appraisal of what's true about you, about the world. And Mm -hmm. so humiliation for me in this story is when you're being mocked and ridiculed and there's contempt, uh, and especially for me, like I'm a boy becoming a man and they're saying I'm a girl. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's <laughs> immense humiliation in that. And that was their intent. I mean, yeah. when there's middle school mockery, when there's bullying, the intent of a bully of bullying is humiliation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you, does it, do you see echoes of that in adulthood now where at times it's, difficult to differentiate between the two? Um, no, I don't have, okay. I don't have difficulty dif- differentiating between humility and humiliation. I do as an adult feel humiliation when I think others probably would not. Mm. Oh, interesting. Because of my story. Yeah. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And the wounded child, like this, let's say this story of humiliation, do you find that that part of your heart, that wounded child thinks it might still be happening today and tries to use the same tactics that maybe yes. it used before. What would yes. be what would be some typical tactics that it tries to to use to protect you? Oh, um do not ever 
get in a powerless situation. Mm -hmm. So scan the horizon, like a hyper vigilance for mm -hmm. whatever's going on mm -hmm. in my world, coworkers, family, friends, whatever, always looking for where might power be taken, where might I be rendered powerless? Yeah. Yes. Where might I be betrayed? Where might I be mocked or humiliated? Mm -hmm. And then do whatever I have to do to avoid that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that's, and that's what's so great about it is the language you used is so closely related to sixes. And I kind of just want to point that out. Yeah. I immediately had the same thought. But it's I, I different. I'm always, my, my, uh, what intention or inclination is to, I feel the powerlessness before I'm in the situation. Um, but then I start to create alliances mm -hmm. to overcome the powerlessness. Right. And an eight's not going to, I mean, not that an eight would not create alliances, but the eight's mindset is, especially the wounded child is, you cannot trust anyone. Whereas mm -hmm. the six, right, right. the six's mindset is, you cannot trust yourself. That's the complete mm. opposite of what an eight sure. is thinking. The eight is mm -hmm. like, yeah, there might be some good, decent people here, but I'm not sure yet, so I'm going to trust myself. Whereas the yeah. six is like, I don't trust myself. Where are my alliances? Where are my people? You know, And how can I garner them? How can I bring them into the fold to know that I'm safe and secure? So I just wanted to point that out because the scanning of the horizon is such a sixth thing. People are hearing that. But what I want everyone to hear is that it is – we do the similar things, but for our types reasons. So you're scanning yes. the horizon to make sure you're not betrayed or harmed. Mm -hmm. Now that's a whole, we could walk the wheel on hyper vigilance right. for each type. Oh yeah. I, well, and I'm hyper vigilant in our relationship. I'm scanning the horizon of what could make you sad, upset, not happy. I have happy. no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> Bethy. I've never experienced never you that experienced way. <laughs> and it's because I'm fearful of losing connection yes. or conflict or tension of any kind. I would just want you happy. Um, and so I just think that's a really key thing. So let's dive into the beloved child because I'd love to hear how God has enabled you to grow um, in such a way that has helped you to, to have self-leadership and compassion for the wounded child and to navigate it when it does pop up and wants to protect you and be vigilant. Um, so let me just kind of rephrase for or, or like refresh everyone's memory on you know, the beloved child. So it's the part of our heart that knows who we are and whose we are. It knows that its uh, core longing has been satisfied by Christ. And this is the spirit-led self. And it understands that its relationship with God is all satisfying, joyous, and it overflows into their lives and with others. So the type eight's beloved child knows that they are weak and finite, uh, but they know that God is strong, protective, and has completely uh, accomplished what he set out to, which was their, our salvation. Now, the beloved child also knows that Christ will neither betray nor forsake them and that he is their true advocate that they can trust him and that Christ will not stop protecting and providing and that his love is so intense and focused on them that the beloved child can fully rest and surrender in his strength, which still means that they're powerful and they're incredible at what they do, but it's from a totally different place in their heart. So the beloved child might say to itself, to yourself, um, Christ will never betray or forsake me. I have a true advocate in whom I can trust and I can rest in his leadership. And because of this, I can extend to others the same love, tenderness, protection, and justice that I have received from Christ. 
Um, so Adam, can you just walk us through what does it look like when the beloved child shows up in your life and leads you from that Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit-led self and also coaches, mentors, leads, whatever you want to call it, that wounded child back into alignment? Sure. This is a complex topic because the Bible's full of people expressing to God that God has betrayed them and forsaken them. Uh, Psalmists do it all the time. Job does it. Jonah does it. Elijah, Jeremiah especially, felt deeply betrayed by God. Mm -hmm. And what they did with that, and I would say from their the best part of themselves mm-hmm. um, yes. was they would dialogically express that feeling of betrayal to God. They'd stay in conversation with their God and express candidly mm-hmm. their felt experience of God's betrayal. Yeah. Um, the same has been mm-hmm. true for me. I mean, in my opinion, the only way you can come to know that God will not betray you is by candidly and uneditedly expressing to God when you are feeling betrayed mm-hmm. by God. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the betrayals happen east of Eden. Like I have been betrayed. That's not just my type's hypervigilance, yes. you know, m- it, it, seeing something that's not there. Betrayal happens in this in this world. And so there's no you know, when I'm living out of the beloved child, that doesn't mean I'm never going to be betrayed Mm -hmm. by people. Mm -hmm. Um, God is not going to betray me, but my felt experience at times will be that he, why did you let that thing happen? Exactly. Why did you not intervene there? And so I think to live out of my, this part that you're talking about, Beth, this beloved child, the only way to get there in my experience is to have a very candid, psalmic, rich, robust dialogue with God mm-hmm. about my true feelings of abandonment and betrayal. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's so key for not just eights to hear. I think it's key for eights to hear, but I think it's key for all types to hear because I would say in our Christian culture, not the Bible, in our Christian culture, it says, "Oh no, you can't do that. You can't be. Right. You can't be honest with your doubts, your fears, your right. frustrations, your anger um, about your experiences, and even how you feel that God may have betrayed you, forsaken you, or or left you, or didn't provide for you. Like that is a no, no. That means you're not faithful. You're not a Christian. You That's don't right. love God. You don't believe in what He has done." And so That's I think right. it's important for all of us to know God is God knows what's going on in your heart better than you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so if we're not candid and honest, we're really just deceiving ourselves. We're not mm-hmm. deceiving him. Right. We're not like right. tricking him like, oh, I'm a much better Christian, you know, <laughs> like because I'm not saying it. No, I agree. The more honest we are, the more we're actually to sit in the present moment of God and feel his love and embrace, even knowing that we're broken, even though even though mm. we know that we doubt or we struggle. And that's why Romans 5.8 is so incredible. It, you know, while we were still sinners, Christ came for us. It wasn't like, oh, I better, let's wait till they fix themselves up a little bit, or they have a little bit more faith, or they trust me more. No, he knew we couldn't do any of it. 
and he knew we were broken. So I love that. That's such a great way for an eight to lead us, all of us, is to say, no, you must be honest. No editing Mm. here for you to Mm. have a true and honest relationship with the Lord, which will spill out with others. Adam, Mm. uh, you do a lot. You put a lot of emphasis on story work. Uh, I was recently doing some uh, reading in a recovery book. Um, It's in the ACA recovery genre of books, and it's Becoming Your Own Loving Parent. And what was interesting, they said that if you approach your, what their terminology, your inner child, from the place or self of the inner child, you're going to get spun out doing your own story work. But if you approach it from your own loving parent, that you're you're differentiated in some sense and are able to engage with your story differently. When you think about this idea of the beloved self engaging with this memory of middle school, mm-hmm. what thoughts do you have about learning how to lead ourselves, but from the place of the beloved self? Mm-hmm. To the degree that so uh, let me preface this by saying this. We have parts mm. to ourselves. Yes. Lots of them. And <clears throat> then, in addition, there is an atom that is not a part. Mm-hmm. When that atom approaches that seventh grader, that wounded part who's yeah. humiliated and powerless, and listens to him, listens to that seventh grader, uh, that is very holy. It's also what you're calling self-leadership. It's a way of being with a very wounded part of me Mm -hmm. and providing attention, care, engagement. Um, It's uh, powerful and it's healing. Yes. Uh, And it's it could be summed up in this phrase, I'm bearing witness to that part's agony. Mm. Yes. What? No, uh, I'm going to ask one more follow-up. Um, oh, Stinky Pete, I think I lost it. <laughs> um, no, yeah, yeah, I found it. Uh, sorry. Um, one of the things that I, I've been wrestling with in my own experience is Beth can sometimes show up for that wounded part of my heart, Mm -hmm. but it is altogether something different when I show up for that part. Yes. Like there's an element of comfort that she can have, but then, and I even find that sometimes in uh, in my spiritual life, like I've studied enough the Bible, like I, I know the concepts to be true. I know the passages that are there, but there's sometimes a disconnect between what I'm experiencing and what I believe to be true, where it's almost like guys like, hey, I, this is true. Now you're just going to have to shepherd your own heart with this truth in so, some sense. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like other people bearing witness, but why the importance of ourselves bearing witness to this wounded part? I, I can talk about it, but it's a mystery. In other words, <laughs> my, mysteries yeah. mysteries are not unexplainable. Mysteries are things that are endlessly explainable. In other words, we can't ever come to the end of, of words yeah. explaining it. 
what you're talking about is so holy in neuroscience terms it's integration mm. in other words okay these parts of us are neurons mm. sure mm-hmm. neurons that are connected to other neurons and we've got billions of them there is a seventh grade wounded humiliated part of adam that is a lot of neurons mm-hmm. that exists in a particular region of my brain that I tend to stay away from. Yeah. Yeah. When I approach that seventh grader in that particular hallway where it would happen at East Ridge Middle School, and I say to him, What do you need me to know hmm. about you and your world? All of a sudden, he feels a safety and a and a care and a presence of somebody stronger than him, which is what he never had right. yes. in real life. And if I avoid him, which is what most of us do for oh, most sure. of our lives, mm-hmm. he's stuck in that place of, I have no advocate, I'm utterly alone, and he's fueling that wounded child in me as an adult because he knows that there is no one. Yeah. But right. when I come to him, that gives him a different experience of the world. Yeah. Right. Well, that I, is very healing. Yes. And so what I was going to say, actually, this is a better time for it, um, was what we just experienced reading the book. So for um, me. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. So um, just for Adam and everyone else to know. So I grew up with a pretty severe reading disability, um, not dyslexia that we know. Um but just a very slow reader, slow at learning to read. So when I was in the eighth grade, I was reading at the fourth grade level. And so it took a long time to just catch up. And I'm still a very slow reader. And we got new glasses that actually have really helped. They're called neural lenses. They are prisms that actually make my eyes work together, not fighting each other, which if you mm-hmm. are trying to read and your eyes aren't looking at the same thing, it doesn't translate into your brain as well. Well, reading out loud was probably one of my greatest fears growing right. up. Right. And um, very intrusive memories of oh, reading out loud in school. Yeah, up. little Bethy, the wounded child in my heart, is like, we are not doing that. And so, whenever I read out loud, you know, like if you're in a group, you're like, okay, there's five people ahead of me, count out, you know, the five paragraphs. And then I'm like trying to read as much as I yes. can to prepare because I'm so afraid to be exposed that I'm incompetent in this area. Yes. So fast forward, doing a lot of uh, inner work, understanding my wounded child, and then the beloved child coming in. We attempted reading the book before I knew all of this. uh, This was our first book, book, Becoming Us. A couple years ago. And it took me one hour to get five minutes accomplished. Like, like, and you you, you know what I'm talking about. It just, to get it just right. And we were Mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, this isn't going to happen. And that devastated you for a day. Oh, uh, maybe not, if not days. Like the, it, the wounded child part of my heart was just, see, I told you. I told yes. you we can't do this. Why did That's you right. put me in that position? So it it was like there was no one there once again to advocate for yes. me. But That's right. I've been doing all this work and got the glasses. I'm seeing a lot of progress. Uh, it's not perfect. You know, I don't read like Jeff and the rest of my team, but a lot of progress. So I was like, I want to do it. I want to try. I think I can do it this time. It was a totally new energy. Like new it energy. was, I'm going to walk into this very difficult place. But I knew but that I had that Coach Beth, which is what I call my beloved child. I knew Coach Beth had 
to meet with little Bethy and ask her the same thing. Like, what, That's are, right. what are you afraid of? What can I do to help? That's right. And she was like, I'm afraid of, of experiencing that I'm there and it's going to take me forever to get through this and that maybe I can't even do it. And I was mm-hmm. like, and, you know, and just walking her through like, well, what if you can't? It's okay. We can get someone to read the book. Like, that's okay. But wouldn't it be worth to try? And, mm-hmm. you know, she's kind of like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, right. I'm like, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. You don't have to worry. I'm going to read the book. I'm going to coach us through. And I'll be honest, the first day, it was two days of, of reading. Jeff and I were tag teaming because of the book. We're written together. The first day, it felt like a WWE wrestling match internally. Mm-hmm. Like all my parts are just swinging each other around, body slamming, you know, like kind of that I told you so. But Coach Beth kept showing up time and time again to say, guys, I know this is hard. I know we keep messing up. But the te- uh, the um, the engineer is super kind, super patient. We're getting through this. It's going to take time, but it's okay. Then the second day, by God's grace, it was a lot easier. A lot easier. And we got through it. And I was able, Coach Beth was able to celebrate with little Bethy. I know that was so, so hard and so scary, but we did it. Mm-hmm. And do you see that mm-hmm. we can do hard things in life? And it's, it's not necessarily always fun, but it's good. It is interesting. My experience of you, there were still a lot of fears, mm-hmm. a lot of sadness. Yes. Um, a lot of tears the first night. That's right. I was up for two hours. You but know, it, my parts were like, "Do we really have to go back? Do we have to go back?" Yes. But there was it, it was a it was an entirely different uh, experience of sorrow yeah. of um, of hurt. Even, even the shame seemed different um, that you were experiencing, and and it was in, uh, even as your husband, I as much encouragement. Yeah, uh, that I was able to offer and options. Um, little Bethy wasn't really having any of it. It no. really was. Yeah, she's you. convinced you don't understand. <laughs> you, you don't. And, of course, you're right. going to say that, Jeff. Yeah. You're my husband. You know, she's like right. writing you off. You know. What were you going to say, Adam? What I was going to say is that what little Bethy needs from Jeff is not encouragement. She needs him to amplify her shame. Mm. Mm-hmm. She needs him to pray that because that's what you're doing, Beth, mm-hmm. in yourself when you approach her. You're listening to her shame and saying, "Tell me more." Yeah, and actually, what was it like for you? That was actually what you did the the first night because I came home and I knew I needed to cry because all mm-hmm. all my parts were just so exhausted. And you just sat next to me and you allowed me just to express all uh, mm. that I was feeling. You weren't trying to correct. You weren't trying to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of it was simply reflecting back all the beliefs of little Bethy. Yeah. You were like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. This is, this is really hard, you know? And, and yes. And it was just a safe place to be honest. Like you were saying yes. earlier, just to be honest with the frustration, the hurt, what I've experienced mm-hmm. and that it's still really hard, even though I've done all this work with classes and I read, mm. you know, so much right now but that it's worth it. And that really meant so much to little Bethy that I think maybe that's, you know, 
the all of it is why this second day was so much more manageable. Well, uh, this is great because that that this is probably the most personal uh, that we've shared about our own processes relating to beloved and wounded. So, uh, mm-hmm. thanks, Adam. You're just uh, doing what you do to show up and people <laughs> start a path diving for us. in. <laughs> Well, um, why don't we talk about the connecting types now? So we're going to talk about wings, okay? So um, the for the type 8, the wings are 7 and 9. Uh, the type 7 part is excitable, spontaneous, distracted, impatient, and more social and outgoing. It anticipates future events as exciting, fun possibilities that you can't miss out on. The other thing about the 5 wing uh, is the that... Seven wing. Or the 7 wing, yeah, sorry about that, <laughs> uh, is that we're, it's trying to protect, it can try to protect our wounded child by focusing our attention on gaining power and control, becoming more impatient, demanding, impulsive, and lack compassion mm-hmm. uh, and uh, for how others are feeling. But when the wing seven part trusts the beloved child's leadership, it no longer needs the healthiest, healthier, unhealthy strategies to protect the wounded child. So from this place of trust and rest, uh, the type 8 may notice that they're more joyful, spontaneous, playful, capable of making the impossible possible. Uh, they radiate possibilities and grace that inspires others. So, uh, Adam, how do you see your type 7 wing show up in your life? Well, the misaligned type seven wing is when I'm demanding in my marriage and I approach Caroline with a posture of, this is what I need. If you cared about me, you would care about this, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And even though like I'm a deeply empathetic man, um, I will, when I'm misaligned with that seven, I'll engage her without any thought of how might my energy be affecting her right Mm -hmm. now? It's like that part of me, that gifting, when when that when I'm misaligned with that seven wing, it's it just goes offline. Right. Mm. I, I I don't have a thought about how am I affecting Caroline. What's this like for Caroline? It's just well and demanding. And just to let people understand, so the eight, their core weakness is lust and excess, and the seven is gluttony. So you put those two together in a misaligned way. They don't care what everyone else is thinking or feeling. Like, we want what we want, and we want it right now. Yes. Uh, Adam, when do you see uh, the seven wings show up for you in healthy ways? Oh, um, I can be so playful, like in a childlike wonder sort of way. Mm -hmm. Like the other night, I gathered, you know, my kids were whining and bored. And so I I, I gathered them together. I'm like, hey, let's play sorry, Mm -hmm. except... Um, we're going to invent some new rules Ooh. and you know, there's a, there's a new version of sorry now than when we were kids, they have these things called like fire and ice. So if you, if you get these things like ice means you, nobody can sorry you and fire means that, uh, if you get in the home thing, another piece gets to be put in the home thing. So I created two more like new rules. Yeah. Fun. You know, a uh, in, in addition to fire and ice and, and to make it more fun. Yeah. And like, that's my aligned seven wing yeah. energy. Yeah. Yes. Spontaneous, fun. Spontaneous. Yes. Yes. Whimsical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that. Well, let's go to the better part of you, which is the type nine. No, <laughs> <laughs> But so when a type nine, you know, they're compassionate and they're kind, 
They can have this quiet strength and steadfastness and tender leadership. Um, really helps encourage others to excel in their strengths. Now, when the wounded child part of you is trying to protect yourself, the type nine wounded child part can be withdrawn, trying to overcommodate others, people please, avoid conflict and tension. It can also suppress your feelings of anger and irritation, kind of in hopes that maybe it won't disrupt anything. Um, but of course, it's going to come out. And a lot of times it comes out when we're not even focusing on it, like, especially as as S9s, we're like, what, I'm doing that. So it's kind of like, we're just aloof to how we're affecting others. But when the Mm -hmm. beloved child part is in the lead, then the type nine part can bring so many great aspects, like recognizing that others need kindness and empathy, compassion Mm -hmm. and tenderness, as much as the type eight strength. And then the type eight is able to be patient, understanding, gracious, and able to express their opinions, but in a way that harmonizes, a way that mediates and brings gentle leadership. So, Adam, how does the type nine part of your heart show up both in misaligned and aligned ways? For misaligned, I will often edit my feelings of anger mm. at Caroline. I won't express it. I'll, I'll, I'll censor it um, mm. because I don't want to cause conflict. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. But then the anger builds and builds, and it will come out months later with all my eight energy. Right. I don't. Right. Jeff, does, Which is Jeff doesn't helpful. know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> nines are nines are the volcanoes on the enneagram, you know. So yeah, we have the anger deep down, but then every once in a blue moon, it erupts, and when it erupts, so Beth calls her eight wing Regina, and I, when I f- sense it, even whenever she's brooding, and I can feel the energy before it's ever been expressed. I'm like, right. hey, hey, Regina's in the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So anyway, so you try to tamp it down or censor yourself and then it just comes. Yeah. 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 For um, when I'm aligned um, with the nine. Um, so I'm a therapist. I do a lot of story engaging of people's stories. And um, when I'm aligned with my nine, I can lead with my tenderness. Yeah in my work with people instead of leading with my strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a very different felt experience for the other person. It's yeah. very easy for me to name stuff in people's stories, to confront people about truth in a, in a helpful and in a kind way, but that's different than leading with my tenderness. Yeah. yeah. And, and when I'm aligned with that <laughs> nine part of me, it's it, which is scary for me to do. Um, sure. But when I'm, when I do it, it can be more powerful than my strength, which is a stunning sentence yes. for an eight. Yes. Well, Adam, one thing that comes to mind, and maybe you can speak to this, um, what comes to mind whenever I think about wings, oftentimes we experience ambivalence in regards to our wings because they're inviting us sometimes to something that's different. So eight may having anger, but then having a nine part that wants to mitigate anger. Mm-hmm. Um uh, an eight who doesn't want to be vulnerable, but yep. a nine part that wants to offer tenderness to clients, yes. which means entering into vulnerability. That's right. Can you speak to ambivalence as you understand it uh, to help people understand? Because it sometimes Beth will look at me like, uh, you're using that term again, and I'm not exactly sure what you're talking oh. about, but it's a key Allender concept. And so it's, that's why well, I bring it's it up. A key, 
It's a key life concept. Look, if you want to be a functioning human being, you need to understand ambivalence. Mm -hmm. Ambivalence is feeling two contradictory emotions at the same time. Mm -hmm. In other words, I am drawn to Jeff and I am suspicious of Jeff. Mm -hmm. I am wanting to be closer to Beth and I am wanting to move away from Beth Mm -hmm. because I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. That's ambivalence. Mm -hmm. So anybody who's experienced trauma at at any level wrestles with ambivalence because in trauma, you, uh, well, a a classic example is sexual abuse. If you have a history of sexual Mm -hmm. abuse, you know, the experience of terror and pleasure Mm -hmm. in the same exact moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, and I remember we've actually gotten some comments, I think, from a previous podcast on that. But there, there is when you talk about pleasure, can you define that just a little bit more of what you mean by that? Well, in the context of sexual abuse, just genital pleasure or a back rub. I mean, we are uh, pe- people that need touch and yes. we're also sexual beings. And so if you're a seven-year-old girl and your grandfather is molesting you, you, because of how God designed the human body, you are going to feel pleasure. Mm -hmm. You'll also feel disgust and terror. Right. Yeah. But you are, and, but here's the bottom line. You can deal with the disgust and terror. Mm -hmm. It's the pleasure that haunts you when you're 40 years old. And it's not pleasure as in I enjoy, like, I mean, I understand what you're saying is in like the body just naturally says that feels good. At the same time, it's not like pleasure you're seeking after. It's not the right kind of pleasure. It's the opposite. So just, I just know that right. there probably mm-hmm. be people out there that are like, what? You know, and it's like, no, we're not, we're not insinuating at all. But I think it is the right point that physically, physiologically, how we're made, God created us with the right person to enjoy that kind of touch. And this is an yeah. invasion of that. Yeah. And, and you can, I mean, just in, in, if you're married, if you're not married, if you're hugging somebody mm-hmm. that you are not necessarily, um, reconciled with or at peace with, mm-hmm. but you're hugging them. Mm-hmm. Couples do this all the time. They hug, but they're not well with each other. Mm-hmm. Sure. You're going to feel ambivalence yeah. because the hug feels good and there's also unresolved stuff between you where you feel misunderstood or missed and that feels yucky. Mm. So you're 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 experiencing the agony of ambivalence right. uh, often yeah. in your day. Uh, Adam, what would you say how how do ambivalence has an invitation to it? And it it invites us into the story again. Um, how do we short circuit ambivalence? Mm versus embracing it. What do you mean short circuit it? Well, I Oh, like try and avoid it? That's right. And so we avoid the tensions in our own heart. Oh, right. Um yeah. because we and even in marriages, I mean, I I I mean it would be hard for I'm sure for some couples, I've sort of groomed Beth in this uh language and so she understands when I say like I I I want to be with you, but right now I don't want to be in the same home with you. 
<laughs> and that's hard that's for right. couples if you don't understand the yeah. concept of ambivalence. Right. Yes. And so maybe yes. we overemphasize the good, we overemphasize the bad to eliminate the battle that's happening mm. within. That's perfectly said, Jeff. That's perfectly said. We will try and ignore or deny one pole of that ambivalence mm -hmm. so that we don't have to feel the agony of being pulled in two different directions. But the reality is we are complex human beings. We're complex creatures with, with big emotions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that means we often feel contradictory feelings at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. And actually yeah. not as it not only is it okay, but it goes back to what you were saying earlier. We have to have that honest conversation with God, but we have to have that honest conversation with ourselves, the reality at hand. And when we can acknowledge yes. the reality at hand and understanding what our parts are feeling, even when they're contradictory, we can actually lead them better. So like when your nine parts like, I just want to people please and and reduce conflict and your seven's like, no, I want what I want. Those are two competing thoughts. But how does mm -hmm. the beloved part of Adam say, mm -hmm. hey guys, I totally see how you both are feeling, but this is what we mm -hmm. need to do right now. And that's, mm -hmm. that's where the power of transformation comes in. So if you aren't having an honest conversation with yourself, then growth can't happen. That's right. So what you're inviting people to, Beth, right now is so important, and it's just awareness mm -hmm. of what is true mm -hmm. for you in all of your multiplicities. Yep. We are multiplicities. We have parts. We're not – there's no such thing as just like this unified atom. There is – there are lots of parts to atom. Yeah. And when I welcome, that's the key word. Yep. It's the Old Testament ethic of hospitality. When I welcome at the table mm -hmm. all of those parts and listen to all of them, healing starts to take place. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is an interesting metaphor you just used because I, I often speak of uh, having team meetings in the morning. Uh -huh. uh, having been an yep. athlete, it makes sense to me. Like, who's quarterbacking this? Who's the coach? And uh, what are the various parts? And are they uh, in alignment? But welcoming to the table, I, mean, I would imagine for some that could be a very redemptive metaphor mm -hmm. of uh, how can I shepherd everybody and be hospitable to everybody at the table. Well, it actually goes with what's in our new book, More Than Your Number, our AWARE acronym. So A yes. is awaken. So awaken to what's going on. Like be honest. W yes. is welcome. Welcome without shame, guilt, and judgment. Mm -hmm. Yes. A is for ask the Holy Spirit and see and ask for truth. Like be honest. Mm -hmm. R is receive the truth. So actually embrace it, even if it's hard. And then E is engage. Engage in life in a new way with yourself, others, and God, um, based on what you've observed and the truth that you now have. Um, and so that's really important for people to, to be able to do all these steps, but the Enneagram and EIP just brings this sharp clarity. It's kind of like a cheat sheet, you know, like here are your main basic Enneagram parts that are affecting you and they're going to be ambivalent. I mean, a nine with a one wing and an eight wing next to it, there's a lot of competing thoughts going on, you know, like they, the nines, like you guys don't get it. Like that's not how we do things, but they are there to assist and help me win following the beloved child. They're going to bring havoc if they're following the wounded child. 
And so it's important for us to know that. Well, in the few minutes we have left, why don't you go through uh, the paths and yeah. start with type two? So type two for the type eights is a path. So this is the line that you're connected to. And again, it can be healthy or unhealthy depending on whether it's following the wounded or the beloved child. Which is a little bit different from typical Enneagram teaching. That's right. Yeah. A lot of times, well, Enneagram 101, it's a lot of people just learn there's a stress path and there's a growth path, but we use both in healthy and unhealthy ways. Um, so the type two part uh, for the type eight is highly relational, friendly, energetic, talkative, and engaging. Um, and they're very compassionate and supportive people. But when they're misaligned and they're trying to protect that wounded child, the things that you might see is that it believes that they have to earn love and affection uh, from others by helping, supporting, and advising them. But they also feel the need to repress their needs and emotions because yeah. they fear that this is going to threaten their relationship. So they'll start mm -hmm. to begin to kind of suppress all of those and get into action. But the more unhealthy uh, we use the type two part of our heart, they actually think the healthier they are because they're like, oh, but all my intentions are good and right. But other people are signaling a red flag like, please stop. That That's not how I want to receive love. But now when the wounded child is at play, the type two part shows up in such beautiful ways where they make other people feel very special and seen and supported. The heart is tender. It's humbly serving. There's no strings attached to what they're giving. So they give generously their time, talents, and their ability to socially connect. So Adam, how does the type two part of your heart show up in both of these ways? Um. Uh when I'm misaligned with the type two, I suppress my needs because I assume that voicing them will not make a difference. Mm, yep. You know, the other person won't care or respond to me. So why take the risk of putting it out there? Yeah. And so I do a, 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 a two kind of a thing and I just push it down mm. yeah. and I don't say it and I don't verbalize it. Sometimes I don't even say it to myself. Like sure. it happens so well. Wow you know, like unconsciously sometimes. Right. So that's misaligned. Aligned, like when I'm aligned with my type two, I, as a therapist, as somebody who does a lot of story work, like mm -hmm. the other person can feel incredibly seen and cared for. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like seen like they've never been seen yes. yep. when I'm aligned with the two in me. Yeah. Yes. You know, Adam, you, the way that you phrase things whenever you talk about your misaligned self is one of the things that we use in coaching. It, it almost seems like this wounded part of our hearts has a rule book. Um, mm -hmm. That I mean, it, and, and, I, and you know, sometimes they can take the form of vows. Um, mm -hmm. But and I know that you've actually talked about that when facing trauma and the role of vows that come out of that. Um, but it there are these rules that yeah. we that that wounded part of us lives well, not, by. I it's, can't express It's not need. free to live right. with freedom and joy because we're going to get harmed. We're going to be hurt. Yeah. These are the things that, quote, quote unquote, protected me, which we only sabotage ourselves when we're in the wounded part. But it thinks, no, this is what has helped me. And to be fair, the wounded child helped us to survive when we were younger, but it no longer helps us in the way that it tries to. Yeah you know, in our current state. When, when you mentioned your, the healthy part of uh, the two part of your heart, Adam, um, I, I mean, I, my heart kind of welled up a bit thinking about the incredible amount of eight energy and two attunement. Mm, yeah. Like yes. that, it's like that, that's superpower stuff that yes. happens in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Talk about feeling, like you said, safe, talk about safe. feeling seen and yeah, safe. Because eights are very intuitional as well. Oh yeah. And then the two-ness of seeing the other need and maybe you're, I would imagine at times you're aware of their need even before uh, the counselee is aware yeah. of the need. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so good. All right. So then the type five, again, it can come from the wounded and beloved part. Now, type fives are, they're very intellectual, they're wise, they're innovative, they're curious, they're observers of the world, they want to know more, um, but they feel that they're going to be drained of their inner resources and energy, and that people are going to suck probably the emotional reserves right out of them by being intrusive and kind of taking over. So when the wounded uh, part of your heart with the type five is leading, you can become fiercely independent and start to build up boundaries to protect yourself from others. And you desire to gain as much knowledge as you can to go from a defensive position into an offensive position. Mm -hmm. um, and then you might become more secretive and isolated to protect yourself from possible betrayal or depletion from others. But when the beloved child is at the helm, um, you can combine your intellectual insights and your intense passion to confidently produce original works that really bless the world. And you're more aware of your inner world and what you need to be able to relax, to recharge, because eights will push and push and push until physical little exhaustion or illness, where that type five part is like, hey, Adam, you've gone too far. We need to pull back, refresh, recharge, so we can actually bless people more instead of really being depleted. So Adam, how does the wounded and the beloved child part of the type five show up in your life? Uh, the wounded part, um, I will, uh, when I'm threatened, there are times when I will kind of retreat to gain as much knowledge as I possibly can to make a case for why I'm right or for why the, uh, the there's injustice here or sure. why there's something, you know, I, I, it's like, it, it's like all of my energy becomes focused on gaining knowledge to prove injustice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a very defensive uh, place and it's hard to breathe mm. and it's very driven, mm -hmm. very driven. Mm -hmm. And I can create, you know, long documents, heavily researched documents. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but it's sad. It's really sad. Now, the flip side, when I'm aligned with my part five, what happens? The podcast happens. Mm, yeah. Right. My, my podcast is, is a great example of me being aligned with my type five. Uh, it's it's um, the, the, the pairing of uh, intellectual insights with intense passion mm -hmm. that produces something that's really helpful to the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love when you said that because when I think sweet, so just to let our audience know, we've done podcasts on each other's podcast on trauma and the right, Enneagram. Right, right. I think my episode, I could be wrong on yours was like 3031. Um, it was a right. two part and I can't remember what it is on ours. So you'll just have to Google it if you want to listen to the, when it was on our podcast. Um, but what, why I wanted to bring that up is because you and I spent a lot of time processing a document together, thinking through, okay, how does trauma affect each type? And I remember you saying that was the most effort that you had yeah. put at, at the time into uh, a podcast. And yeah, you're right. But again, that's your five curiosity, um, wanting to yep. know, to be insightful, to have it right. Um, mm -hmm. and to bring that to bless others, you know, with your passion. Mm -hmm. 
And so I just, I think that's, it's a perfect example of how that type five showed up in such a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, when in the Allender training, there was, it was my first time being exposed to neurobiology and its relationship to trauma. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the name of the book. I remember it was red and white, maybe the science of love or something about this. But I was so confused. Like, I don't know what in the world I just got myself into. Um, and I, I just just ask you the question, and you articulated with what you just said, both in intellectual inter- and clarity and integrity with passion. Like, mm-hmm. your heart lit up telling right. me about this. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, and it was so helpful. Like it, I remember the illustration that both you shared and that was presented in the book became such an interpretive gift. I mean, you've seen me draw out the little dots. Oh, yeah. And the H and the A. Yep. And, yep, yep, that's that's where that came from. Well, right before we, we close this out, what I love to do sometimes is to kind of paint a picture of both the wounded uh, child and the beloved child parts of the types. So the wounded part of the eight, just to paint this picture again, is fearful that others are going to betray and harm them. And so they're going to use these other four parts of their heart to protect them. So they're going to bring in the seven wing that's going to be like, I want what I want and I want it now. And you all just need to get out of the way. The type nine is like, "Uh oh, I I better accommodate people, please um, hide Um, maybe that will work. And then you've got the type two that's like, okay, we just need to give and give and give and give and give because maybe Mm. then people will listen or accept me. Um, Maybe Mm. maybe I'll gain an alliance and a relationship that won't um, go sideways. But then the five says, uh, no, guys, it's only when we know enough information that we can literally plow over people with our intellect and our strength. And so that's yes. how kind of the misaligned parts, and that's why this is so powerful because when you when you see it all happening together, it's so powerful. It's like, oh yeah, this is what's going on, you know. But then the beloved child part, when it knows that it's safe and secure in the strength and the protection of Christ, it can then shift in a whole new way where the seven's like, hey, let's bring some whimsical fun here. Let's bring some joy, mm-hmm. some grace, some abundance that is going to bless others. And then the the nine is like, yeah, you know what? We can offer um, mediation, accommodation, kindness, patience to others because they, the, the eights are so fast at just everything they do. So that patience is so important. And the two is like, you know what? I have a lot to offer and I'm here to offer it, but I'm going to make sure others actually want it. Instead of plowing over them, I'm going to mm-hmm. come with a humble stance of, being patient and offering what I think they need, but waiting to see if they actually want to take it. And then the five is like, hey, guys, we have so much knowledge. This is going to be really helpful when we can see that the path is open for others to learn. And when it's open, let's take that opportunity to bless the world without plowing over them, but plowing a path for them. Does it sound accurate and true for you? Uh, Yes, all true. (laughs) And so that's how understanding how our EIP at the parts within us are operating at any given moment. And the Enneagram gives us that ability to see if we're aligned or misaligned or anywhere in between. That's a spectrum Mm -hmm. and how to then surrender 
and depend on the Holy Spirit to come in and through us to get us back into alignment and to trust him. And it's it's a continuum, like every single day, every single moment, we're on this shifting continuum, but he knows. He's not afraid. He's not surprised. He is there. He already has accomplished and, and is continuing to accomplish who we are in him. And so we can rest in the in that the finished work is already ours right now. And it's that place of, oh, okay, I can just learn. I can rest in his goodness that changes everything. Well, Adam, I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you for all the parts of you that showed up mm. for this hour. And uh, thank you for all the parts of you that show up in the podcast and for your clients. I mean, you are a tremendous gift. Uh, to us all and helping us to understand our hearts. So we really appreciate you showing up in the way that you did today. And where can people find you and your work? Um, AdamYoungCounseling.com. You can access the podcast there or anywhere you get podcasts. Just type in the place we find ourselves and there's a hundred plus episodes that are out there. Man, just hearing that, Adam, I, I remember my mom who had undergone a significant amount of abuse from her family uh, even to them abandoning her to her aunt when she was 13. Um, I remember whenever I first did my first genogram, which was different than Enneagram, yes, yes. Um, and she said this was the first time she's ever told the story mm. to anyone. And number two, her biggest gift was um, Oprah Winfrey mm. talking about mm-hmm. trauma and women's experience. That's right. And oh, absolutely. I, I'm grateful now for the many people who are listening. If you haven't listened to Adam's podcast and absolutely. you've been looking for, to make sense of your story, I promise you this will be a gift to you and to those around you. It it, it really is uh, something really significant. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, please share this with all the eights in your lives. Um, I know that this will really bless them. Or people who have eights in their lives, please listen and get to know the eights. They're so misunderstood, but their hearts are so tender and awesome. And really what we've done today is kind of an example of Enneagram coaching. So if you would love to be coached by a certified Enneagram coach, we have so many great certified coaches at myenneagramcoach.com. So go find one there. And also pre-order our book, More Than Your Number, which um, is releasing September 20th. So go get that book. Um, You will learn so much more about your wounded child, your beloved child, and all the parts that are showing up on a daily basis and how to lead them in a compassionate way. Then make sure you join us next week where we'll have the privilege of interviewing the author and pastor, senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, His name is Scott Sauls and can't wait to talk to him about his new book, Uh, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. And I bet bet you can hear uh, even his main type uh, throughout this amazing (laughs) book, uh, even in the title itself, uh, Scott's a Type 4. It'll be a special treat for us all to talk through the Type 4 EIP. And as always, uh, please remember the Enneagram reveals our need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us. Thanks for joining us.